Happy December and welcome back to the SNL Recap Podcast. I'm Rich Tackenberg. We are back uh, from a hiatus thing from the Thanksgiving break. And it is now time to talk about the three new December episodes. We've got our holiday episodes coming at us hot and heavy, uh, starting with uh, with this episode from last night. But uh, I've got a lot to say, but I'm not going to say it to myself. I'm going to say it to and with and listen to my co-host, Mike Bloom. Mr. Bloom, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Rich. I had to rush home from the American Girl doll store. Uh, pretty nasty situation down there. But, I, you know, I had to get the gifts. Just wanted to emphasize it's a gift. It's holiday time. Uh, not for me personally. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I will I will share now at the top, even though we're going to get to the American Girl store. I uh, the day the day, the, I guess that Saturday uh, of this show, I was in um, in Victoria's Secret buying gift cards for my preteen nieces. And it would felt everything about it felt creepy, even though I've been told pink is a very, uh, very appropriate brand for young girls. Uh, but I boy, did I feel like Mikey Day in the doll store when I was uh, in Victoria's Secret. So there you go. A little awkwardness to start off the show. Yeah, you have a personal connection to this episode, which is surprising on paper, considering that we have a non-American hosting the show. Yeah, so let's jump in. We've got uh, Saoirse Ronan uh, hosting for the first time, uh, promoting ostensibly her new movie, Lady Bird, although there's no direct mention of it in the episode. Uh, it's supposedly doing very well. I'm hoping to see it in the next few weeks. Um, and, you know, I, I was funny looking at Twitter. I'm going to say I probably like this episode more than most. I think there was a lot of fun, some misguided structural uh, sketches. But overall, I thought there was a lot of fun to be had. And I thought she was just so likable. Uh, uh, and also the fact that she was really willing to sort of take a step back in a lot of sketches and let other people sort of take the lead, I thought worked to her advantage. So I don't know that there's I think there's probably only one sketch that the world will be talking about this week. And it's a pre-tape. But other than that, I thought there was a lot of fun here. How about you? What do you think, Mike? Yeah. So I guess sort of separating Saoirse Ronan and the show proper. I thought Saoirse was a great host. Um, she sort of comes from the uh, the Greta Gerwig, who will actually make a cameo appearance on this episode, sort of world of mumblecore, and you never know how that's going to translate into SNL, but she seemed to do a pretty good job. We talked about this at the end of the last podcast, but I think she talked about this on the talk show circuits that she was doing this week, that she actually is a big SNL fan as well. And, you know, I, I feel like what you're saying is completely accurate about the fact that she just seems so well-assimilated in that cast that she really blended in with them, which is both a pro and a con. A pro in that she didn't stick out for bad reasons, but a con in that I don't feel like there was really any big Saoirse Ronan anchoring sketch, you know? Like, I don't want to yes. com compare her to, like, your Timberlakes, but I feel like our most adored episodes are ones where you know the host who is in the sketch because they just brought that je ne sais quoi to it. And I think Saoirse Ronan is a very very good actress but i just i don't know if there was anything looking back and i'll say my overall thoughts about the episode as well is that uh yeah i was i was probably more in line with the internet's opinion i was probably not as high on this episode as you going back to my rankings uh i was back and forth between like comparing this to the ryan gosling episode which for those of you that might remember was my number four i think of six before coming in here i decided to slot it in right 
under Ryan Gosling. It's a number five just hmm. because just because I feel like the Ryan Gosling for me, comparing the two, this episode had lower lows in my opinion, but it had at least the way I felt very similar highs and that like there were a couple sketches that I really enjoyed overall. So I, w- I won't say it's a bad episode whatsoever, especially compared to the two below it, which I definitely liked less. This was also very weird episode and weird is not necessarily i don't want to put a bad connotation to it there's some there was some good weird stuff going on but between the material they were going with the pacing it it was it was a lot but i mean it was it's good fodder for us to talk about yeah well it's interesting we'll talk about as we go sketch by sketch but i i noticed the same thing that i felt like as i said she really uh whether it was her choice or the style of the writing she you didn't see her as front and center as a lot of sketches uh, yet and and yet also she wasn't always playing the uh the normal person the straight person in the scene to someone else's crazy i feel like there was a lot of scenes where she was willing to just be one of she felt like a like you know this mm-hmm. was a great featured player outing for her uh which i kind of like i i thought that it sort of broke up some of the some of the pacing uh in different ways let's let's get into it we're obviously not going to talk about saoirse ron in the cold open but it's uh donald trump alec baldwin is back after a hiatus uh not surprising we're going to start out with him uh and we're going to do a uh and we're going to do a little bit of a christmas carol to kick off december with uh president trump uh, as many of you may remember although i didn't see many people talking about it online uh if this uh format feels familiar to you it was only two years ago where we did uh, a christmas carol except hillary clinton was the person visited by former hillary clintons and sarah palins instead of being one of the ghosts um Mm. i thought this was this was a long piece i thought again this was i thought there was a lot of fun in this a lot of people said there wasn't a lot of bite to it and i would agree with that i thought this was more just sort of generally making fun of the president and kind of taking a lot of different shots but i thought there was a lot of fun here to sort to dig through i like the idea i feel like the idea needed more work ironically enough considering that christmas carol is like this very tried and true formula and i feel like that's sort of what had had the sketch working against it where when it did feel a little truncated a little rushed together and you're like okay billy bush is obviously like the ghost of christmas past because he was affiliated with the past but then you also have putin and then you have hillary clinton come in like that sort of i don't know it, it didn't feel as um uh, it didn't feel as outlined as it probably could have. And that also might've been compounded in the fact that, you know, you had Kellyanne Conway come in to start and make her own little thing. And then Melania comes in and has her own little thing. Like, I I don't know if they, why they felt like they had to throw all of the Donald Trump, uh, you know, administration stuff in with the Trump character itself. If they went as simple as the aforementioned Clinton sketch, but it was just like Trump in the oval office bed being visited by the spirits of his past, present and future. I feel like that could have been something that would have been cleaner and maybe as a result funnier. Now, that being said, I think the uh, the Hillary stuff was by far my favorite just because it's always fun to see uh, Kate's Hillary character, but also to to just marvel at the uh, the mastery of, you know, Kate having to come in as Kellyanne, run backstage, take off the wig, change out of the costume, maybe just throw the robe on and then get into the Hillary stuff and then come back on two minutes later. Maybe they did all that stuff as well to sort of like pad out in order for that uh, trick to work. And I will yeah. also I will also say that uh, I wasn't a big fan of the way this sketch ended, because, again, the the Christmas Carol 
tried and true formula is Scrooge waits up, he realizes the error in his ways, and he decides to be a nicer person. And I wasn't sure if they were going for, like, oh, Trump wakes up from this, but he decides not to do anything, or he takes a complete opposite message, because they literally finish things up in, like, two lines. And it didn't really, it, it just didn't feel like they had enough time for things to land to really tie a bow on the end of the Christmas gift that was this sketch. So here's what's so strange about this. Uh, you know, generally you and I have very similar tastes, but it's funny. I had I almost every point you just made. Well, of course I respect. I had almost the exact opposite direction okay, and opinion, right. which is so strange. So like, I liked that we had, like, I thought the Melania was a nice breath of fresh air in between. I thought Cecily was really strong. I loved starting with Cecily. Um, I thought a lot of the bits were fun. Uh, you know, Michael Flynn was cute. I agree with the Billy Bush because it almost felt like with Billy Bush, we were going to do more about sort of the sex scandals lately and how it relates to him back then um but i i like the putin thing i did like when they were talking about uh, michael flynn was talking about that he what he should do for the good of the country and uh, alec baldwin was like the goobity gaba like he couldn't even say the good of the country so that stuff was really funny for me for me the biggest letdown was that it the the ghost of christmas future was hillary because mm. i felt like without because even though taking away how i feel about kate mckinnon's performance of it i feel like i i feel like they SNL with the Trump stuff goes back to Hillary it, the same sort of frustrating way the way our real president often goes back to Hillary as like a hey let's dredge this up and it just feels like I and I don't want to get into politics but I do feel like comedically not taking forgetting what how great she is I feel like okay we're let's not make this about Hillary again. Like we get it. We get that. Let's move on. Let's just stay focused on what's going to happen to to the president going forward. And mm-hmm. I would, I guess I would say, I agree with you about the end of the sketch. It definitely felt like a, a little bit of a, uh, okay, we're out of stuff now. So now I'm going to say live from New York at Saturday night, but, but, but I liked a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff in there, including the Putin stuff. I thought the Putin stuff was very fun. So we have two weeks left of December rich. How many times do you think we're going to see Baldwin back to do a Trump cold open in that time? I mean, I think if uh, if if form is to be true, we probably will not see him for James Franco and we'll see him for Kevin Hart. Um, probably also depends if there's any major things that happen in the next seven days. But I suspect we won't see him again uh, until the Kevin Hart episode. And then and then that will be it for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's segue into the Saoirse Ronan monologue here. Would you count this as a musical monologue? Yeah, definitely was a musical. I, I felt like this was. Uh, I, here's my here's my two seconds, and then we'll talk about it. I felt like this was a very clever and inventive thirty second ditty that we somehow stretched into a full monologue. <laughs> I, I would I'd agree with that because I mean I think the thing coming in was everyone's like, okay, are they gonna make a joke about how to pronounce her name? And it was a, a bit of a fish in a barrel for them to shoot. But yeah, I was as surprised as you are that they're like, okay, we are, well, Leslie's coming out. Okay, now Kate's coming out and they sing the song again. Then AD comes out. Then Beck comes out and does his thing. Like they, they were stretching this one. Oh boy, how much did we not need that Beck thing? I actually thought he did it very well. His commitment and his timing was very good, Uh, but boy, we did not need that Beck thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, I liked, you know, again, it was like, it was the going to the Leslie Jones Mad Libs, not not her as an actress, but but writing for her, like, oh, of course, if someone's going to say her name wrong, of course it's going to be Leslie Jones. I think we all saw that one coming down 6th Avenue and turning towards uh, Rockefeller Center. Um, But the, and 
And also, I would say Kate was a little bit strange and I couldn't quite tell like she was almost playing it like she was like the character was bored or uninterested. And mm-hmm. yet she was interested, um, although I did have her. I did love her line after the song of I'm fluent in nonsense. It's my sixth season. Do you know how many raccoons I've played? I thought that was very fun. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, maybe I would have enjoyed it more because I, I still thought it was like if it's fun I'll use that that adage of more fun than funny I enjoyed the song the ditty as you mentioned I wonder if if they went under the game of like this song is purposely confusing because I feel like that's what Kate was saying initially but then she sang it along with her and it was totally fine and then we went to 80 immediately like maybe if we went in that direction and then you bring out Beck to do his other thing which I would agree it felt completely superfluous but I feel like Beck did it well including <laughs> spelling his own name wrong it could this could overall have been much more of a cringeworthy musical monologue so if it's just a 30 second ditty repeated four or so times over the course of five minutes I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. And kudos to the musical directors and the musical team, because I thought when they all sing it at the end, the way that Beck interwove his version of the song was very, very fun and very well done. Yeah. And also uh, kudos to Saoirse Ronan. I also like her line of uh, if her name was a Wheel of Fortune puzzle, she (laughs) couldn't afford it. Yes, there's a lot of vowels. There's a lot of vowels. So so a fun kickoff. And then we go to our first pre-tape, Floribama Shore. So surprisingly, I saw this was written by uh, Luke Nell, Heidi Gardner, and uh, new uh, new writer, Andrew Dismukes. I'm sure I'm saying his name wrong. Directed by Paul Bagante. So a fun take on, you know, we've seen many takes on, you know, making fun of the, uh, the uh, MTV reality show, uh, Real Worlds and Real Worlds spinoffs. Uh, I thought this was fun. I, I don't think this is something I would go back and watch a second time. Uh, but I thought there was a lot of fun in this. There was a lot of fun little uh, little sort of writing nuances that made a sketch that we've effectively seen before still mm-hmm. be pretty funny. Yeah, you could tell that like the SNL writers love to to basically play like these trashy people in their 20s i think my favorite part by far was like the actual introductions of the characters you know with the pontoon and all the the kyler and then you have uh i you know you you could tell they had a lot of fun with like giving their individual introductions with the one-liners uh tidy character saying uh my favorite food is gum uh and of course you have chris sort of playing like the requisite black guy but like the only sane person in there and then you throw this really interesting wrinkle in of you know they are on the floor of bomb ashore and they happen to be filming when hurricane irma was there which i i don't know if that's true i'll admit I don't, not- yeah i don't know that that was true but i it was a fun sort of premise to that yeah to sort of give it a little bit of a twist so it was a little bit of a mapping game right it was like yeah. let's try to do all these trashy reality tv tropes in the course of a storm and, and i think it played to it well you know I would have liked to play with the storm stuff a little more. You have, it was, I feel like it was, I mean, outside of the ending, obviously it was actually pretty subtle between like them dancing in the club and the waters at like waist height. You have them around the candles. Like, I wonder if that, if there had been more stuff to sort of play in that though, I can obviously realize that they wanted to build up these other characters and going like very farewell, Mr. Bunting at the end with that rogue stop sign coming in and, uh, you know, vivisecting our poor pontoon. 
Yeah, and and I did like as we sort of talked about, we're going to see the theme here where Sersha, you know, where Chris Chris is playing the one sort of normal person, uh, and Sersha is not playing the star of the sketch. She's really just one of the lunatics down there. Uh, you know, she was a fearless Christian sex addict with gum diseases you ain't ever heard of, and I thought she did a very nice job of just sort of blending into the lunacy and and uh, you know, and I like that every all you know everyone's hooked up, everyone's doubled up, except that all the women are all with mikey day's character so i was just to say i i mean i also love like chris red works really well as a straight man but i think one of the best things about it is that he's not in every scene you know you get really yes. again it's it's surprisingly subtle you get these short glimpses of like cuts to him packing in the background because them saying like oh we're all good except for justin he's been trying to get a hold of his wife like it's these random yes. cuts back that i feel like does a nice job of grounding the reality among all of the absurdity going on Yes, exactly. Exactly. So uh, fun stuff, you know, good, good job for, you know, some of the feature players getting some uh, strong writing credit and getting getting themselves in the scene, which we'll see again. Uh, let's go back to, uh, I guess, our first live sketch after the monologue. Uh, we we had there's a news report, as you mentioned at the beginning of an explosion at the American Girl store. Uh, this was probably for me a little bit weaker than the other stuff. It, it sort of it reminded me, do you remember, Mike, the beginning? of last season the Marvel oh, yeah. Robbie episode the very first yeah the very first live sketch that was done post monologue was I think yes. like that was like we were like oh who's this Mikey Day guy and yeah it who's was this the Mikey? joke yeah yes the joke was yeah. that like he was but like Mark Shart I think his name was and he was him and his girlfriend were uh witnesses to some sort of accident and then they said they didn't focus on the report and said they focused on how this guy is how did this guy get with this girl we also have like a pseudo sequel with the uh the zoo pornographer slash photographer from earlier this year as well yeah so i thought in that same sort of mold i i thought this probably worked least well um but i thought mikey day did a very good job uh, that you know he is you know uh pretending to be at the american girl store to buy a doll for as a gift uh but as we get more and more people being interviewed about the explosion the reality of him being there to have tea with his doll uh you know becomes more and more clear uh you know I th- I thought this was well done. I don't know that uh, I don't know that we needed this sketch. Yeah, I mean, I feel like of the three, again, we'll include that pseudo sequel in there. This is definitely my least favorite, just because I think the humor that came from that initial Margot Robbie iteration is the fact that what they were fixating on the news team is completely tangential from the gravity of the situation that was happening. I think the the premise gets murky when it's oh. He was there like I feel like an explosion at the store is really not that big of a news item to be able to really take that left turn into focusing on this one guy and really mine the humor from it. You know, it could be like uh, if the guy had like an Orange Julius cup and they're commenting on the fact of like who goes to Orange Julius anymore. Like maybe that's again, I don't want to be backseat comedy writing, but maybe that's sort of the direction you go in. And you're, you're repeating this sort of game of, OK, we have this very serious situation report on. Wait a minute. Here's a completely superfluous detail that I feel like we need to hash out as a team. I would say my favorite part of the sketch was near the end, actually, when we bring out uh, Alex Moffat and he brings out the doll and you have Mikey sort of sneak in and put the hat on the doll uh, and him well, being going to be on TV. I mean, come on. Yeah. And also and also him being very frazzled that uh, both floors of the American Girl store will be closed, including the salon. So I, I agree with you. I feel like Mikey put in a commendable performance. But for me, especially compared to previous iterations, because the premise was different than what we saw before, it did not play as well to me. 
Yeah, I agree. So, so let's move on. We get to our second pre-tape, uh, which I, you know, we get to the the sketch that I think is going to unquestionably be the sketch of the week, the thing that people are talking about, which is Welcome to Hell, uh, which is our sort of uh, girl power sort of, um, I don't know if I would call this J-pop or, you know, this very sort mm-hmm. of uh, bright lollipop, sunshine, rainbows uh, song about uh, about what it's like to be a woman called Welcome to Hell. Uh, sketch was written by A.D. Kate uh, Cecily as as well as a writer, Sudi Green and Anna Dresden, uh, directed by Oz Rodriguez. Um, so it's it's girl power across the board here and just super fun, just super fun. The thing that I liked about this is it had such a clear message. It had such a clear sort of political slash social message that was very on the nose and yet wasn't overbearing. It was a very sort of fun way to say something that's not necessarily funny, uh, but they did it in such a fun way i thought the message was like oh yes message received loud and clear this was so so well done as you said the aesthetic between the visuals of the animation between the the outfits that the girls were wearing between the twanginess uh, and the sort of like synth of the pop music behind them and the even the voices that they were speaking in like sort of like in these like baby voices about how women are consistently harassed I thought it was just such a well done piece. Now, was it funny? I don't necessarily know, but at the same time, I'm not going to fault them for it because I I think something like this, it's really tough to make funny, Uh, especially since their message is essentially like, hey, men, you're shocked by, you know, what's been happening and your eyes have been open to this world that we've been living in the entire time. I think that's a really blunt message. It's a very effective message, but it's not really a message where you can have people guffawing by the end of it. I feel like this is much more going for the clapter than the laughter uh, section of a comedy, but I think it was so, so well executed. And a nice little shout out to uh, Melissa Villasenor as yes. well. Uh, I know we got we got a tweet from Nick Store uh, p- pointing this out, but I loved her as sort of like the runner of all the women in their roles throughout history. And she also had some nice little like uh, riffs going on near the end there. So I'm happy that this was also like a nice uh, showcase for the female ensemble as all of these songs are wont to do. Yeah, when Melissa first showed up, because she wasn't in the beginning, when she first shows up as almost a cameo as a witch being burned, I had that like, oh, that's a bummer. Like, she really is just being an extra in this. And then you saw she had actually quite a nice run and actually had quite an important part. So I thought she did great. I mean, I thought there was a lot of fun in this. I thought a lot of funny. I mean, I liked I, there was a bit where Cecily explains how she like if she's worried about a guy, she holds up her arm and spins around and screams so that the guy will think she's not worth the trouble. I thought that was really fun. Uh, I like there's a whole run about the kittens. Uh, they like kittens, but then whose kitten is it? And is it free kitties? I thought that was very fun. Uh, and I love the idea about, you know, that, you know, in this litany of things that have been ruined, vans is one of them because nothing yeah. good happens in a van. I thought there was I thought there was a lot of fun stuff here. So I, I probably laughed maybe more than you did. But I know what you mean it's hard. There's not a lot of big jokes here. Yeah, and I will say that my favorite part by far was like, oh, here's the list of things that have been ruined for women forever. I think that was definitely my favorite part was the run that they went on there. What did you think, by the way? It was it was a very brief moment. What do you think about the moment where Leslie steps out and says, oh, by the way, it's it's definitively worse for women of color. Oh, yeah, you're totally right. And then they moved on. Like, do you think this was the show like trying to almost cover their bases in a way? Do you think it, it was meant to be a joke in there as well? 
I, yeah, I think I think it was I think it was less of a joke and more of a sort of the political navigation of uh, we, of course, want Leslie in this and, you know, probably Leslie and other women of color on the on the staff writing staff having an opinion about this and sort of how do you walk the line between do you call it out? Do you not call it out? If you don't call it out, does it is that become the thing that people talk about? So I thought they handled it well. It was a sort of a moment where we sort of paused to sort of deal with it and sort of call it out and then it was like okay i'm with you and go to it now i I, before we move on i have a conspiracy theory i'm gonna float this for fun now i want to put extra uh asterisks around this i know nothing i have no insight intel i'm just gonna float this as a crazy conspiracy theory to at least it's it's just to talk about which is it was strange to me that as a uh, especially once we see Melissa to be it's it's this big girl power sort of moment uh, and we're sort of featuring you know, the women of SNL it's written by three cast members two female writers uh, you know Leslie shows up Melissa shows up and yet Heidi Gardner is not in it well and uh, but she but she but she was she Heidi was in it. Where was she? Yeah. Did you remember you mentioned the cat moment before uh, the individual who was wearing the trench coat and the mustache and the hat oh, was, right. was Heidi Gardner. Okay. Okay. She didn't have a line in it, but she no. did. She was walking around. Okay. All right. I feel better that who, thank you. Well, thank you. I was like, I was like, what's going on? What, why is Heidi not in this? Heidi should be in this. So I feel better. Thank you that she, she was in it. Okay. Girl power. It is. Well, let's move on to uh, Heidi has a more prominent role in this next sketch. Definitely. The Kmart return exchange, which is I feel like it's a it's a sketch we get once in a while here on SNL, which is sort of like I would almost call it like an assembly line where basically people just run through and play their kookiest characters. Uh, you know, there's we have our town halls. We have our drive throughs. Uh, that was the whole purpose of Appalachian Emergency Room about 10 or so years ago. What did you think about the Kmart sketch? Yeah, I feel like uh yeah, format wise for me it always feels like when we do uh it's it's written very much like when we're doing a big run of celebrity impressions, almost like celebrity family feud where we're going down the road or whether you know, you know, going down the, you know, this person, this person, this person or whether we're doing auditions for something, hey, here's the, you know, the auditions for this famous movie and we're just boom 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 boom. So it felt like that. It felt like a, it almost felt like an improv game. It was like a freeze tag kind of thing to me. If people People just sort of just in, in, in. So that said, when it started, we start with uh, we start with Kyle doing what I felt is the most overdone, unfunny Mm -hmm. run of, hey, I'm announcing to the world that my penis is so large it doesn't fit into these Magnum condoms. And I was like, I was like, oh, my God, my eyes hit the back of my head. I was like, oh, I can't believe we're going to do this. And it goes on for a bit. So I was very like I was I was prone to not like this sketch but i think once keenan shows up returning his women's hand muff because he was looking for a gentleman's hand muff i think they sort of brought me back mm-hmm. yeah I, and i was also it was an interesting way they plotted things out as well because between kyle and then keenan and then leslie all three characters were essentially just screaming at mikey day's beleaguered customer service person and then when you have Sersha and chris come in like things get subdued a little bit uh it, it took me a little while for me to realize what the sketch was. You know, I thought that like, okay, are we going to stick with this Kyle character? Okay, no, we're just going to keep bringing on weird characters. And then you sort of have this interesting dynamic between Chris and Sersha where Chris wouldn't defend Sersha. So she goes through this whole 
uh, charade to be like, oh, I'm going to return this because my husband isn't a man. So I have to, you know, get these tampons instead. And then I feel like at that point I was sort of on board as to the absurdity. So I was into, you know, 80 and the parrot and then uh, Pete and Heidi with the pregnancy test. That's also a very like it's not as bad as the oh, these condoms are too small. But I feel like it's a very similar. But it's premise close. Of, yeah. It's of, like, yeah, oh, it, this, yeah. this doesn't work. I, uh, I I peed on it. I'm the man. I don't understand why this pregnancy test works. Um, I think yeah. my favorite part might have been Cecily's character with the Facebook live. I'm happy that that was the character that got brought yes. back. Yes, that was very fun. It made no sense, and yet it was very fun. Although I did, I did like Kate's Ethel when she says these dungarees are too baggy. They, I look like an urban in them. I thought that was a very fun. Uh, and then I like the idea of just you know one of the ways SNL gets out of a sketch somewhat effectively is just go for a big visual sight gag of crashing down the set. So yep. uh, you know, yeah, almost like Sean Spicer driving the podium off the stage. I thought this was a fun end. And and again, kudos to uh, to Mike day as a straight man not pulling too much focus and yet sort of anchoring this in just that you know incessant line of crazies trying to return things i thought he did a nice job all right well let's go to our next pre-tape our good neighbor sketch which uh yes out of its normal like 10 to 1 slot they bumped it up pre-update this uh the race i think it's called i call it like office runner uh I'll, I'll I'll defer to you first. I'm definitely the I'm the good neighbor uh, defendant on behalf of this podcast duo. Yes, you you are the you are the bigger good neighbor fan to me. So I I will say I did not love this, but of the good neighbor sketches, I thought this was definitely more fun and more original than other things that they did. I like that they were making fun of a different genre and a different time period. I felt like the weirdness felt a little. Bit but more contained to sort of one crazy thing instead of just being in a cuckoo weirdo world. Um, So I don't know that I loved it, but I, I definitely thought it was pretty fun. See, I loved it. Probably expectedly (laughs) so. Uh, Well, I knew you loved it and I get it. I get why you loved it. Yeah. I mean, I love this idea of sort of like, I can't tell if they were parodying like a sports film within this office because they they didn't go all the way with that. But that was sort of on purpose. Like they purposely rush things together. They give us these given circumstances of here's Beck's character. He's the fastest guy in the office because apparently speed is preferred there. And, you know, again, I'll say beat the drum that Beck Bennett is a fantastic pre-tape performer, especially when he's playing a jerk. He is so good at playing a smarmy jerk and everything that he does. And I love just the weird idea that like ripping your pants is akin to like getting a major injury. And the fact that this, they rip their pants at one time and they still have the pants with the rips in them. I thought Sersha was wearing them. Yeah, so exactly. Stupid. Yeah. And I thought yeah. Sersha was a really nice uh, pairing with Kyle. I thought I didn't recognize Greta Gerwig at first, but I thought she was really yeah. fun in this as well as the boss. Uh, it's it just like you have such great random good neighbor lines like when you're fast you've got it all money all of those uh, yes. and, oh, so and that I, was I wrote that down that was very funny I like that yeah and I also loved the uh, the one training scene which was literally five seconds of her saying faster my work is done here uh, and then it, it just like much like uh, you know these these sitcom parodies it keeps escalating to 
Lindsay Search's character was a ghost, and then you have Mac from Mac and Me pump up to say that. Like it's it it turns completely weird when you think that it's hit the climax, then it ends with the boss saying, Well, Lindsay was a ghost. We didn't know that. I don't know what this company does, but let's get to work. And then she just sort of literally slides out of frame. I it, it's it's a great good neighbor sketch in that it it starts off with an odd premise, but just completely goes into an insane place by the end of it somehow. Yeah, I yeah, I and I will. There are a couple of touches I'd say for me. The low point for me was the very, uh, you know, almost like the Magnum condoms in the scene before when she offers to train him and he doesn't want to do it. Then he says, "Wait, Lindsay, or should I say, Coach?" I was just like, "Ugh." But I will say a couple of touches. I do like when they're about to start racing and Kyle just spits. I'm sorry, uh, Beck just Beck spits, spits in his, his face. face. <laughs> it was just so out of nowhere. <laughs> and then my favorite because I'm of the '80s is at the end of the race when he. And there's a dot matrix paper uh, finish line. And I, I thought that was such a beautiful touch. So, so, was, uh, so I, I, I'm with you. You liked it more than me, but I will certainly agree. One of the better good neighbor ones, certainly one that I could see sort of sticking around or making a, a you know, a best of the year kind of thing. Yeah. That we, that we can agree upon at least. All right. So let's get to you too. So, <laughs> All right. This is more information than anyone listening to this needs, but I just I need to give you the context. 1987, uh, my second semester, freshman year of college, and a guy who is big into music who is like, hey, given the music you like, have you heard of this band, U2? And he plays for me this album that had just come out called Joshua Tree. And I was like, oh, nope, don't like it. Just nope. Not in, and he's like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I don't know why. Just I don't like it. And this began my that was eighty seven. That was ninety seven, two thousand seven. Oh my god, my thirty year dislike of you two. <laughs> Happy thirtieth. So, thank you. It's it's a special moment. I should call some of my college friends to announce that. Uh, and and I will give you the. I have always felt like if you like you two, I get it. I understand how talented they are, but I am not in your camp. Uh, and so that sets the stage for them performing again on uh, on uh, SNL, two songs. Uh, so I have, of course, opinions on these two songs, but I feel like I'm so uh, I, I come from such a bad place that I'll I'll let you. What did you think, Mike, of of, of them, of uh, their songs? Yeah, I mean, I am. I'm, I feel like I'm of like a different era of U2 as well. I'm aware of like their Joshua Tree stuff and they're more popular things like With or Without You. But I guess like when I was growing up, I was more I was more knowledgeable of like the Vertigo era. U2 was like How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. I know I'm probably asking the wrong person, but I'd like their 2000 stuff when they were definitely pursuing a different dynamic. Um, I feel like they got on the collective America's nerves when they there was that thing when when you got an iPhone and for some reason like their newest album was like automatically yes. in there that pissed people off a lot and uh, I don't know if they ever curried favor back but yeah this was this was interesting I mean it has to be I have to call it interesting when your first song involves your lead singer using a megaphone 
half the oh time. Oh my god! When you're pulling out the bullhorn, I was like, "Come on, Paul! I'm not gonna even call you Bono. Come on, Paul! Put the freaking megaphone down. You're not a 22 year old. You know, if you're if you're in the white stripes in their heyday, that's fine. But like, you're too old for the megaphone. Come on. And by the way, I want to say one thing about Bono. When did he start looking a lot like Robin Williams? Has anyone <laughs> else noticed that he looks a lot like kind of late stage Robin Williams, which was very creepy. I think it was the sunglasses that really is like it, it really like sets apart the wrinkles of the face. The interesting thing to me as well, aesthetically speaking about the first songs, they did American Soul and they did probably a more uh, typical U2 song and get out of your own way. But American Soul almost had like this lyric video behind them that they do sometimes on YouTube where like it's just visuals, but the words are showing up at the same time as the person is singing it. So it's almost like they were singing in front of like an art installation of their own lyrics. It was really, really interesting. <laughs> It was like it was like, boy, you're really playing to the to the old person crowd. You've got the most uh, inventive closed captioning I've ever seen on <laughs> SNL. Yeah. Yeah. I would say uh, the first song felt like, oh, you're too old to sing this song. Like you don't don't pull this off with the second song. I was like, OK, you know what? I don't love get out of your own way, but it but it felt appropriate for who are I will give them this elder statesman of rock and roll. I mm-hmm. of course that they deserve that title. And this song felt like, OK, the pacing of it and the style of it and it was and it did sound good i was like okay not my cup of tea but i get it you, you're sort of growing up and then right at the end who gets out that effing bullhorn one more time it's like oh come on dude again with the bullhorn let it go and then you even see at the end in the card that you know the of the photography he's got the bullhorn the <laughs> megaphone in the card i was like Oh boy. Yeah, that I mean, to me is uh boy. That's his new thing. It's Bono with the bullhorn. Uh now were you surprised also that by the time we got to Air Lingus, you two did not make a cameo whatsoever, especially in that type of sketch? It was odd because it was such a, you know, even in the monologue, she says it's the St. Patrick's Day episode and there's no reference to, you know, the, you know, Ireland's biggest band is the co-host, you know, is the musical guest. So I was surprised we didn't see them show up in something with her. Yeah. All right. Let's move into weekend update. I feel like we've said the past couple of weeks, Rich, that weekend update uh, really has been hitting home runs and in a couple of episodes was definitely at least the highlight for me. Was that streak kept up for you? It was. I, I really enjoyed this. I thought that there's really and this was a week where we watched a lot of comedy, uh, you know, about about topical events. And yet I thought there was a lot of fun to be had here. Uh, you know, we'll save the features. We'll sort of carve them out in, uh, for a second. But I thought in the jokes, I thought there was both uh, a lot of very funny jokes. And also I just thought a lot of interesting takes where you go, oh, my God, that's so funny. I haven't heard. No one has said that all the way up to Saturday night. I thought it was interesting. So I thought there was a lot of fun here. Yeah, but I will say Michael Che, for some reason, felt a little off. I don't know if it was. I, it it might have been a cue card thing, but there were a couple times when he specifically goes yes. on his I mean, when he goes on his second run because uh, he, he does his first one really well about how you know Trump is is just slippery in general, according to him. Uh, but the, there's a the second one where he's just like and uh. And now we move and then he moves on yes. and you're like, did, it felt did, like something went wrong. Yeah. Cause he had it. Like, I think it was something about Trump where it was like, it was like, dude. And then there was like a weird pause. And I, it seemed like maybe it was a cue card mistake. Cause he sort of had that. I agree with you. He didn't quite get the, the pacing as, the, as well as he's done in the past. 
well, I'll, I'll point out some lines here because I do agree that I think specifically from uh, Jost and Che, it was very strong as per usual in recent weeks. Uh, you know, Colin starting off by saying it's refreshing these days to see a powerful man plead guilty to anything other than sexual assault. Uh, and then sort of tying into that, I love the comparison to him having to read off the sexual assault oh. uh, pe- harassers every week, like Powerball numbers. Uh, that oh, was that was great. And the graphic for that was uh, very well done. It was that was a great thing. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I was going to say the the one that I liked, uh, the, the, there's the thing where he's talking about Comey, how Comey had posted that uh, that religious thing about let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. He makes a joke that was fine about what a nerd he is. But then he's like, boy, ever flowing stream. It sounds like Comey did see the Russian P tape. I thought that was no one had said that. I thought that was so funny. I like that a lot. I liked Che uh, going, you know, very uh, blue with the humor, with the uh, dogs are smarter than cats, but I've never heard a cat (laughs) fall for the peanut butter trick. Like, I feel like Che has one of those that he'll throw in every week. The sheep one is still sort of in my head from a few weeks ago. Uh, But I love the way it closed, at least from their perspective, with uh, Colin talking about the play where the audience and the cast is going to be naked for one show. It's the play critics are calling Maybe Not Right Now. Uh, yeah, I just feel I like it was very it's, funny. It's, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like some of the strongest weekend update runs have like unifying themes involved throughout the course yeah. of this like seven minutes. And I, I it's horrible to say that like they're lucky because of all the stuff that's been coming out with this with the sexual assault. because uh, it's a horrible thing, but they've actually been able to like almost have a through line throughout each of these weekend updates because of that. Yeah, I would say one of my favorite bits, it wasn't actually a funny joke, but he's talking about how Trump in a tweet implied that Joe Scarborough was to blame for a, an unsolved murder for years ago. And he's and he's talking about how that story barely even registered as news and how crazy it is like that, you know, in any other year that would be front page, you know, news. And yet it barely even gets a mention. I thought that was such a great sort of call out. I, I had a lot of fun with that. All right. Well, let's get to our features here. Theresa May, another Kate McKinnon plays a world leader. Remind me, is this the first time we've seen this character on update? Yes, I think it is. Yeah, I think this is the first time we see her. I thought uh, I thought she did a really nice job. I mean, this definitely has shades of other, uh, you know, Kate McKinnon weekend update characters. We're going to see sort of pieces of it, but overall I still thought it was really fun. I thought she did a, I thought this was really fun and and it was different enough in sort of mixing up from a Ruth Bader Ginsburg or from uh, Angela, Angela Merkel that there's definitely fun to be had here. And I thought she definitely brought it. Yeah. And this was like almost the opposite thing from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The point is that like she does this energetic celebration every time, but the point of Theresa May is that she thinks she's making like throwing a huge shade and, you know, throwing dropping the mic at every chance she gets. But really, they're tame insults by comparison. But just th- through that premise, I feel like the performance was really what did it. So I'm happy that Kate was able to add something into the repertoire, because I think we both said that at least with RBG, we're sort of good putting that away for now. This is an opportunity for Kate to showcase maybe something else that can sort of get thrown into the rotation a bit. Yeah, which I think and I I think that sort of refreshing, you know, sort of again, it's a little bit mad libs in its own way, but I still thought that they did a nice job doing it. 
which I would not necessarily say, as you can imagine, I was not nearly as excited to see the return of the Duncans, our, uh, our, I don't know, ta- I, I can't even talk about it. What, what, Mike, explain it to people who don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm already bored with myself for even bringing this up. <laughs> so the Duncans are a couple played by Leslie Jones and Mikey Day, and essentially the onus of the two of them is that they like to do they'd like to experiment in the bedroom but it pretty much pays off in essentially leslie just causing a lot of physical harm to mikey's character i believe they appeared in the alec baldwin episode last spring when they were talking about i think a snm probably in preparation for the latest uh 50 shades movie here they're going to talk about more stuff to spice up the bedroom uh what i will say is i thought this was fine I thought that the giddiness of the energy coming literally from Leslie's character buoyed it along. I think the the highlight for me by far was when they actually went through the diagrams of the positions. I feel like just saying the positions wouldn't have been funny enough, but the actual diagrams and the physicalities behind the positions and the inhuman positions that Mikey's character was put in was absolutely when made the feature. I think a highlight, my favorite was probably you're a chair now, which was the first one. Yes. Yes, I thought that was fun. I, uh, yeah, I would say, and it's weird because I think, uh, it was not as original as the first one in a way, though, of things I didn't like. I almost liked this better the second time because of that added piece to it. Uh, although I would say when Michael talked about consensual intimate trauma, that's how I was feeling having to see these characters yet again. But, and also, like, again, a weird thing from Michael Che, he was like, laughing in the middle of mikey day's line like he was laughing in the middle of the punchline as if he had read the cue card ahead of time and had seen the joke really weird night for michael che who's been like really again putting up hit after hit so i don't know if there was something going on but it was something i definitely noticed yeah, but I would still say an overall fun uh, weekend update, even yeah. if these are not my favorite characters. And what I will say as well, I'll brief this by saying I was not a fan of this post-update stretch. And this, for me, this stretch of episodes is what sort of put it below Ryan Gosling and sort of th- this, that is this area of it. I that is fair. That is fair. So we get we start out where we there's a bachelor auction. Uh, what I wrote down is apparently uh, there's a tennis club in the town of a uh, boy because this is uh, this is our uh, Pete's character. Chad, the OK guy is back. We last saw him in the Gal Gadot pre-tape. I think this is the first time, Mike, tell me if you remember differently. I think this is the first time we've ever seen the character of Chad in a live sketch as opposed mm-hmm. to a pre-tape. They're usually pre-tape sketches. Um it never really works for me in the pre-tapes. Uh, and guess what? Doesn't really work for me super well in uh, in in the live sketch either. Although, uh, you know, the, the premise is that, you know, after a hunky uh, tennis pro played by Beck Bennett goes for a minimal amount of money, uh, good old Chad is going to go for an insane <laughs> amount of money. Uh, and for me, the hard part of this sketch uh, was not. Well, uh, I'll say, what did you think? I, I So I was not a huge fan. You alluded to, but I, I, I've been talking. What did you think? Yeah, so uh, as I talked about last time when Chad went to Narnia for some reason, uh, I am not a fan of this character either, but I don't know. I wouldn't say this completely worked, but it worked better in a live setting for me. Now, granted, that is a very low bar to clear. Part of me wonders if it's because of the live energy from all of the women reacting to him. You know, I feel like one of the one of the things you lose out on, on the pre-tapes is the fact that, like, everyone 
plays things so seriously in the pre-tapes. And they were playing it seriously here, but they were almost playing it in an over-the-top serious way, specifically in interacting with each other. Like, they were sniping at each other to try to bid at this guy. I also feel like credit to Chad. Again, very low bar to clear. We saw much more of Chad than we usually do. One of the reasons why I hate the character beforehand is because he literally says, like, two lines the entire time, and that's it. Here, at least we got, like, a semi-good Grinch impression out of him. We got the doink-doink as, like, kind of cringeworthy as that was. So I'm happy they at least said, okay, let's bring a character out of a pre-tape and have him sort of interact and uh, see what happens. They're able to play with this character a bit more. But this sketch was entirely made for me by all the socialites bidding for him, and especially by Keenan's deus ex machina in a paisley jacket appearing not once but twice. But I feel like we, we, we can't, we'll be remiss to talk about the sketch without talking about one of the most random cameos I well, have seen on SNL. Okay, I want to, okay. before we get there, because you're right, but, but here is my thing, and tell me what you think. The thing for me, and I don't want to get into, you know, writing nerd 101 sketch writing, but the thing for me that really bothered me about the sketch is we sort of set up the premise that for some reason the women are super in love with Chad specifically as opposed to the previous hunky or who we'll see as the famous person, but they never even tried to give a reason and why did I miss it? Is this another case of, of a Heidi Gardner where it went right by me? Was there? I don't feel like they ever explained, even in a comedy way, why are the women so interested in this guy? And for me, I feel like that's where it was like I was waiting for a great sort of aha reveal that never came. Did what did you mm. think? I wonder if that's the joke, though, right? Isn't that the joke of the entire Chad thing, at least the first couple times when it was Julia Louis-Dreyfus with him as the pool boy and you have Benedict Cumberbatch with him as the professor? Is that, like, they're treating this with such romanticism when all he does is, like, be a, I don't know, normal or just very blank slate? That almost, I feel like the joke is that there is no reason why. And I feel like that's tough, especially in writing when you're like, we... It's strongest when you provide a game and a rationale behind the character. So I can understand your criticism that when you don't have that rationale, it makes it a little bit harder to sort of throw your support behind a sketch. I think so, because I think in the pre-tapes, there's usually there's almost never another guy. So like in the the genesis of this is Julia Dreyfus as the board housewives is sort of sort of imbuing this idiot with all of these things. And he just doesn't care. And you sort of get it. And I think the same thing with back uh, Bennett, like uh, Bennett Cumberbatch and uh, and even in the Gal Gadot thing we're here, we're seeing, oh, we don't like these other people, but we do like Chad. And I felt like maybe it was just missed, but I felt like for me not that i'm saying like oh you guys are so bad at writing but i I think that's for me the difference in seeing him compared to other sort of other you know eligible men is what sort of that's where it sort of broke down at least for me well that being said i mean we'll definitely talk about this like i feel like totally ended on the weird note where keenan ends up buying this guy for 10 million dollars because then when you bring out John McEnroe, aside from the camo being completely random, to borrow from you, Rich, this joke landed at LaGuardia, drove, made <laughs> yes. its way in, into Times Square, you know, traveled to Herald Square, and then made its way up to the eighth floor. Like, you knew as soon as they were going to bring out anybody, if they were going to do some sort of coda where they brought somebody out, you knew they would get no reaction. I totally agree. I mean, we sort of saw that from the, you know, we, they, they telegraphed it with the Beck Bennett thing at the beginning. And it's just, it's a long way to get to this point, which was very bizarre. I mean, I like that he did it. It was just so weird. 
Why John McEnroe? He has no connection. <laughs> Was he trying to promote something? This is this is the like he doesn't know Sir Sharonin unless he randomly does. This is like the most tangentially connected cameo on SNL that I have seen in quite some time personally. Well, I mean, I guess if you're going to do a tennis club, I mean, he's certainly, you know, he's been on 30 Rock a couple of times making fun of himself. You know, he was with Andy Samberg in Seven Days of Hell making fun of himself. So, you know, he's done uh, cameos before on SNL. So I don't know if he's just of the Lorne sort of world that in, you know, when Lorne thinks of uh, tennis players, this is as, you know, this is as current as he gets. But I agree. It was very, very odd. It's just sort of like you do a double take of like, okay, is that like Alex Moffat in a costume? No, that's really John McEnroe. Okay, what is he doing here? And why did they decide to end the sketch on John McEnroe and bring him in at like 1245 at night? Yes, it was really, really bizarre. Very, very odd. So, uh, yeah, very strange. Uh, and so, okay, so that one, maybe not so much. Then we get too late for a class. Um, I think, w- although I don't know this to be true, I think we can all agree that Luke <laughs> Null almost certainly wrote this sketch. Uh, you know, this sketch starts off with him doing what I thought was a, um, I don't want to use that term, uh, was doing uh, his version of a Jonah Hill character. Uh, maybe not as good as Jonah Hill did it back in the day. Uh, and it's a long long rant sort of of him making fun of people before we get to the fun sort of surprise that he's actually a new kid and doesn't know what he's talking about and then a long sort of uh sort of unwinding of that new piece of information um i admired them for doing this this is the kind of thing that i want to see a 10 to 1 although this was a little bit earlier um but i don't know that it totally worked for me either oh this was the silence from the first two minutes of this sketch makes Larry David's monologue look like the most uproarious applause you've ever heard in your <laughs> life. It was deafening. And I would almost compare this to uh, Daryl's play from about like four years ago at this point from the Zach oh, Galifianakis wow. episode where like the first half you don't get it, but you're almost not supposed to get it because it sets it up for the right. second half. But the problem there was even in the Daryl's place, like there was weird stuff going on that the audience could laugh at it. Luke just and all the power to Luke, but he was just not able to pull this off. You know, he just comes in and he, yeah. and he starts like insulting people, slay, saying like slightly racist things that Chris is going to call him out on later. Uh, and I, I will say I was happy this sketch did take the turn that it did because I was afraid that it was just going to. It was this was just going to be a disaster and a half and it just turned only into a disaster. It lost out on the half by the end of it. I did like the turn in theory that this kid has never been here before. This is his first day of school, but he's acted like he's like the cool kid in class. But then I don't know if we needed like the dressing down. You know, it didn't necessarily feel it didn't necessarily feel that funny until we got to Alex Moffat's character. That might be my favorite part was the janitor uh, who said yeah. that, you know, oh, yeah, you, you can tell him, you can find my wife to ask her if she finds me smelly. She's essentially implying that his wife is dead. Uh, I think it was like a really dark way to end things. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll agree with you. I think this I liked it, this. I, I like more stuff like this. I mean, again, I love Daryl's place and I'm, I want to see more stuff like that. But this is a nice indicator of the fact that sometimes you're not if you take the risk, you sometimes you not, might not be able to pull it off. 
Yeah, I mean, this certainly to me is a uh, it's a it's a, a a sketch of personality, not necessarily writing. Uh, and I don't know that Luke yet is there yet. That I think that you know you know you could have seen you know that you know stars are made on sketches like this if you can pull them off. I mean, this was no. Uh, this made more sense and was more coherent than Gilly was. And yet, you know, uh, Kristen Wiig was able to sort of just like, like, what was that? And, you know, fantastic kind of thing just because of her delivery. So, so a tough one. So, uh, you know, and, and interestingly then our last sketch of the night doesn't feel like a 10 to one sketch at all. It Mm -hmm. feels like a kind of pre update, uh, you know, a pre musical guest, 1150 kind of live sketch Aer Lingus, uh, where we're going to sort of hit the Irish, uh, uh, horn one more time and really sort of make fun of Irish people on Aer Lingus. Uh, and I thought this was the epitome of, uh, more fun than funny than me. I thought there was, uh, while I don't know that there was many jokes that made me laugh that much. Um, I thought that there was still, they were having fun. You could feel them having fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, enough of a whiskers or we, I'm glad that we brought some doggies into the end of one of our SNLs. Yes, exactly. Maybe that's the reason why they felt like it had to be the last one. It's just in the spirit of SNL to put their animals doing crazy things as the last sketch of the night, with the exception of Brian fellow. Yeah, this was, I'm not entirely sure what the point of this was, because if it meant to go after Irish stereotypes, I don't believe that everyone in Ireland has a dog or multiple yeah, dogs. Yeah, yes, it was a weird, weird stereotype weird. to make up. They're certainly not known for that if they are. That's for sure. I, I felt the same way. Yes. Yeah. So what I will Very say, Very strange. starting off, I mean, they're making like the air lingus, Colonel lingus connection, which I was like, oh, we've come a long way from uh, Colonel Angus from, you know, the beginning of the 2000s, classic Christopher Walken. Now they're just outright saying it. But that's besides the point. This is just I don't know. I don't know what was going on here. I could understand like, okay, they're Irish. They have potatoes. One of them pulled out a fiddle. But I just keep get, I keep coming back to this dog thing, Rich. Why were they all so these odd. dogs? I know. Even even passenger Keenan has a dog just suddenly on his lap for no reason. Uh, but it is a cute dog. I, I don't know. I really think that it was just a, a chance for the dog lovers to sort of uh, get their own uh, their own piece in. Uh, it was very strange, but very fun. The energy of having the all the dogs on stage, I thought, was very fun. Very strange, very strange way to end. Yeah, let's get to the good nights, because uh, speaking of animals, I'm assuming you have something to talk about. And it rhymes with goat moat yes this was so this was interesting in you know uh you know there was never an allusion to whether Saoirse Ronan really knows the U2 or not uh you know as we said it it seemed odd to be a coincidence that you know two you know an Irish band and an Irish act, uh, actress were together well if you had any question about that you you it was very clear from the good nights that there is a pre-existing relationship there uh the you know the guys really seem like you know dads to her or you know uh, there was a, a real there seemed to be a real love um, you know, obviously you two is four people and then her and then John McEnroe and Alec Baldwin. And then you've got about 32 feet of real estate before <laughs> the rest of the uh, rest of the group, which, again, doesn't seem to have anything to do with maybe it's contractual for you two that like only Bono can approach you. You can't approach Bono. Maybe I don't know what it was, but there's a huge, huge gap there. Um, you know, so, yeah, a lot to say about this. Certainly, you know, because you two is there and John McEnroe 
stays. Guess who's on stage at the mm-hmm. end? It's Alec Baldwin, of course. Um, you know, and it seemed like that she got along really well with the cast. There was a huge, she gave, uh, you know, Kate McKinnon a huge hug after you uh, 2 And again, they were talking and almost seemed like she was going to start to cry. It was very sweet. And then you see uh, she thanks Colin and some other people. And then she sees like Cecily from like 10 feet away. And she like, they go to hug each other. And it was so cute. So she almost like jumped in to Cecily's arms. It was really, really touching. It was just, you could just see that she was just sort of uh, bowled over by sort of working with the, with the women. Uh, I mean, and I, and she certainly did hug the men and, and stuff like that, but you could tell there was a real connection with, with some of the women there. So mm-hmm. it was a really nice way to end the night. I thought it was just such a, such a fun sort of ending uh, at home base. Yeah. I mean, this is the second out of three hosts, both her and Tiffany Haddish were, very grateful about being on SNL as well. Not to say anyone, everyone else was in either, but I mean, she was talking about how I love being back in New York. This has been a dream come true for me. You can feel the emotion behind her voice. So that, that always warms the cockles in my heart. Even if I didn't love this episode, I still liked portions of it. And I was happy to break this down with you as I do every week. Now let's talk about next week. Uh, Rich, I was so close one week off in my prediction. Oh, Franco is not yes. hosting the Christmas episode as I predicted at the end of our last yes, podcast in but November. But still a hell of a pull. The fact that you pulled Franco at all is uh, huge. I bow down. Huge kudos to you for pulling that. So what are you thinking about Franco going into this with a musical guest SZA, which I think we've sort of gone uh, with this season for the most part of like, relatively unknown host or first time host and very well known reliable musical guest now he's sort of swapped places a little bit uh, with SZA who is definitely there for the first time but I feel like she's definitely the least known musical guest we've had so far uh, I think so. Or as Daryl Hammond said, SZA. I don't know if that's actually how you say it. I won't pretend to have any idea how to say it, but that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, Franco is always an interesting one. You know, he tends to, I think he's very game for very weird sketches, uh, which I super appreciate. So that'll be interesting. Um, you know, I, I you know, uh, I, I guess God, we haven't seen him since 2014. So that'll be interesting. Um, you know, we did, my wife and I watched The Deuce. So we got to see him play not one but two characters for uh for an entire season which he did a great job obviously he's promoting uh the what is it disaster artist artist the disaster artist um which i hear is very good i hear it's very very good so i i think it's going to be a weird fun episode uh then he will probably be stoned throughout the episode yes and uh more power to you and that and that'll be your official locked in prediction rich because a bit of a programming note you will not be here on the snl recap next week Yes, I am not. I am going to be. Ironically, I am going to be in New York next week. I will actually be at 30 Rock multiple days during the week. But because of work commitments, I am not going to be able to make the podcast. So I am going to be in spirit uh, next week. So uh, we're a bit TBA to figure out. I'm going to try to bring in a sub host to talk about the James Franco episode with me to pinch hit a bit. So stay tuned to that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at a Mike Bloom type. Rich is at Rich Tack. We'll be able to give you updates as the week progresses uh, and, and also talk with us about SNL as well. Give us your overall thoughts on the episode, your expectations for James Franco or Kevin Hart, who is going to be doing the Christmas episode in a couple of weeks. I definitely have some thoughts about that going in but uh, make sure you're also subscribed to our SNL only feed if you are somehow listening to this and you are not already uh, which is pretty uh, 
I don't know, very computer savvy of you, considering that this is on its own feed, go to postshowrecaps.com slash SNL iTunes. While you're there, make sure to rate and review us as well. We always love to hear from you guys. It's SNL plays to a wide community, so we, we love to hear your thoughts on the sketches week in and week out. Yes, and uh, I, uh, for some reason, my Twitter, I was, uh, and and a lot of stuff I was unplugged this week, but even though I will not be on the podcast next week, uh, please, on the on the webpage, on, on Post Show Recaps, if you want to talk on Twitter, if you want to talk Facebook, uh, I definitely want to continue talking SNL uh, over the course of the week. All right, let's finish this up, Rich. I have an Aer Lingus flight to catch, and uh, my dog is already ready to go. Exactly. Thanks, everyone. It was great talking, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. 